Good evening and welcome to episode two of Around the World Sports. My name is Aaron Schellen and tonight I am joined by the former general manager of sport information and baseball operation for the DuPage Pistol Shrimp, Sam Vibrock. Sam, thanks for joining me tonight. Aaron, it's truly a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, really, I, tonight, I just wanted to talk about um, your experience with the shrimp. This is the uh, the third, essentially the third version of a, uh, a, a team in the Prospect League playing um, or calling themselves the DuPage blank. There was DuPage Dragons from 2005 to 2010. There was the DuPage Drones that, that uh, played only in 2016. And then the Pistol Shrimps first year in existence was last year. And it was a really successful season on the field. Uh, as well as off the field, which is again something we'll talk about here in a little bit. But thirty-four and uh, thirty-four and twenty-five finished second in the West, made the playoffs in their first season. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't get past um, the Cape Catfish, who just had a phenomenal season. But really, really good season on the field. And let's let's talk a little bit about the on the field uh, aspect of the team because you know that's what we're missing all right now is is the on the field action. So let's talk a little bit about. About about the shrimps' performance on the field last year. So I mentioned thirty four and twenty five, uh, good for second place in the Western Division of the Prospect League, um, and and some really really outstanding performances across the board uh, for the shrimp um, players, such as Dane uh, Topple, uh, Matt Wozniak before he went uh, before uh, he left before the end of the season. A lot of really good performances uh, from this team. Uh, Andrew Dyke came on later in the season. What are some of the, the, the I guess, some of the players that, that, that you feel, you know, really kind of not just made an impression, but but were sort of the, the um, you know, when you think of the 2019 Pistol Shrimp, these are the players that you so um, Phineas Albonta Smith is the first person that comes to mind. Um, he was actually drafted by the Colorado Rockies um, in the something like the mid twenties, the uh, mid thirties rounds of the MLB draft. Um, he ended up getting to single A this past season. Another person who comes to mind is, uh, like you said, Dane Topple. He was the um, kind of the heart and soul of the team when it came to like. Not he would, didn't have the hitting prowess. He didn't really have the defensive prowess, but the sportsmanship and the gamesmanship prowess that he did. Another guy was Paul Kunst. Um, Paul Kunst was a uh, kind of a fifth year senior out of San Diego. He uh, played shortstop a lot for us, and he played really well. Another guy that you mentioned is um, Andrew Dyke. Came on late in the season, a University of Illinois product. He, he was very good. Um, Stephen Hamer, again, is a pitcher from North Central. North Central has strong reputation for being uh, the class of the CCIW, the College Conference of Illinois and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Then you have Logan Schmidt um, out of Miami of Ohio. He was one of our better pitchers down the stretch. 
Matt O'Sullivan from um, Whitewater. Uh, Wisconsin Whitewater was another really good pitcher. Um, and another one was Kyle Strepic and Noah Dressler. Uh, those guys came from a very good program over there at uh, Concordia, Chicago, the NAC, as they call it, the Northern Athletic Conference. Uh, and I mean, I think the coaching staff too, uh, with John Jackmick and um, Mark Sheehan, which is well known in the baseball circles and Justin Friday as well, um, being there, uh, working with Mark a lot, but it was, it was also um, the California kids like Jackson Ertz came from the San Diego state. He actually left San Diego, I'm sorry, San Jose state. Right. Yeah. Uh, he actually left San Jose state to go to a, a junior college. Ryan Bellowanami, he came in a little bit later in the season. He was one of our main catchers. So those guys really helped us out, uh, really the pitching staff. And then our guys in the middle with Jonathan Hodo, um, a Benedictine kid, and a lot of, uh, a lot of different pieces um, in there. Yeah, Jackson Ertz is also the probably, probably the most famous name on the team as he is the younger brother of Philadelphia Eagles and uh, Zach Ertz. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were, you know, that was one of the great things about watching the shrimp last year is that, is that up and down the lineup, you never knew kind of where that, that production was going to come from. You never knew who was going to lead the team. You know, one day it could be Dane Topple, the next day it could be Andrew Dyke, or it could have been, you know, Leo Gallegos coming in with the power, or again, that, that, that catching combination that you mentioned of Ryan Bellawanami and you know just and and and, and Jack Surin uh, behind the plate, so so that was it was it was a lot of fun because because you just you never knew who was going to step up for the team, and you made a good point that where, where you talked about uh, sort of the midseason acquisitions. This team looked very different twenty five or thirty games into the season than they did on opening day. I remember going back and looking at the opening day lineup at the end of the season and just going, Oh, I forgot about that guy. You know, I forgot that he played a handful of games for the shrimp before he, you know, went back to school or, or stopped playing or, you know, or something like that. So right. a lot of players came on over the course of the season to help the team really be successful on the field. Yeah. Mike Macknick um, and Tyler uh, were some of the uh, temporary players that really made an impact on the team. Another guy that I completely forgot is Adam Lopez. Um, oh, yeah, Adam Lopez came yeah. on a little, uh, a little late. He's from San Diego as well. Um, Jack Stern, I completely, I completely forgot about him. He was a huge part of the team. Um, and Leo Gallegos coming from Southwestern Oklahoma. Yep. Um, it's an NAIA team, but he brought the power to the team. Um, he was very, very instrumental in getting us to the playoffs uh, down the stretch, defeating Lafayette and Danville, which we played 20,000 times. And, uh, and so, yeah, Adam, yeah. you mentioned Adam Lopez last year, hit, hit over 300 for the team, had 16 runs knocked in in 20 games. So he really provided impact in the middle of, of the shrimp lineup down the stretch. Cause that's at the beginning of the season, that's where the shrimp struggled was, was offensively. Uh, they, you could tell that they had some good arms. Jackson Ertz has got an incredibly live arm. He's big. He's strong. Uh, but they struggled offensively. At least they struggled. They were a team that wasn't necessarily going to beat themselves. It was really right. a bunch of really good eyes on the team. Um, players who were really patient at the plate, but weren't really going to weren't going to kill you with the bat initially. So you know, it required a lot of of long innings, you know, players having to take walks and, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and once some of these players came over in mid season, 
you know, the second half of the season for the Shrimp was really where they made their push to get to the postseason. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, when we lost to normal, I don't know when the, I don't know what the exact score was, like 18 to three on opening day. And then we came back and beat them the second day. I remember that second, uh, that second day was a double header day and I had to organize my, my team. And then John had to organize his team on the field, but it was when we played that second game and everyone got familiar and was wearing these hats and, um, Oh, that's right. The first, the first game of the season, you guys didn't even have your uniforms. No, we did not. We actually were wearing, um, actually wearing dry fit, uh, pistol shrimp shirts with numbers. um, T-shirts. I forgot about that. Yeah. Ironed on the back by Mark Sheehan's wife. So that was, there were issues with, um, imports coming in from China, right? Isn't that what was going on? Right. And we didn't have, we didn't have enough baseballs either to start the year. Right. Yep. That's right. Then, um, shorthanded. Yeah, on and off the field with the baseballs. Yeah, that's yeah. It's 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 funny. I mean, you just you can't picture something like that happening in the pro game or yeah, you know, even at your higher level minor leagues. But but this is what you get in in lower level minor leagues. It's, it's you, correct. You never know what sorts of things you're gonna have to deal with. So, uh, so Sam, let's talk a little bit about how you became involved in in uh, with, with the pistol shrimp last year. Okay, so you're going to laugh at this story, Aaron. Um, I actually found out about the team on a Facebook ad. Okay. Um, and I contacted the info at um, DuPagePistolShrimp.com, and I was talking to John, um, and not knowing he was from California, and uh, we set up a phone interview, and we talked a little bit, and he got to like me, and he got to know me about my strengths and weaknesses and what I can bring to the table. And that's kind of how I got started. Uh, we met in February and kind of made it official. And I started immediately breaking ground on marketing, ticketing um, stuff. And I pretty much hired my own interns. And it was it was an experience at the very beginning trying to lift off lift off a team off the ground like that. But I got started actually off of a Facebook ad. Yeah, and you had, you know, and 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 as I get older, I, I I forget things. But you know, so so the names are escaping me. But you had some really really good interns working for you. I can, I can vouch for that. Being in the being in the press box for for every home game last season, and I saw how how eager they were to to not just I guess learn how to do the job, but just be involved in the process. Whether it was, you know. Uh, doing the PA or running, you know, the, the, the games in between innings or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, you could tell that they were really into it and it wasn't just yeah. something to do. And, and, and that speaks volumes to not only their work ethic, but your ability to hire the right people for those roles. It was hard. I had about 20 to 25 applicants. Um, I'm not going to release anyone's name just to uh, protect them, but I had a select few of individuals that were really, really good. And then I had some that were just really, really good. Um, They were all really good kids. Um, I I had a lot of um, fun working with them. It was either sending them to the train station to pick up Paul from the um, city because he had to work an internship or having to them go get like, some cups for the water. Uh, they were willing to do anything and, and they formed a bond. They formed a friendship. I actually just heard from a couple, um, the days ago that I need to do some uh, letters of rec from them and they formed kind of a family. And, uh, and I think 
I picked the right people for the job. Yeah, and you, yeah, you absolutely did. They, 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 they all did a really, really solid job at whatever you asked them to do. And, you know, and I could see from, from my position and, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more in, in a little bit, but you know, every, you never knew what you were, what we were going to encounter on, on a day-to-day basis, whether it was, you know, and we'll talk about the weather issues in a little bit, but <laughs> whether it was a weather-related issue or it was a double header and the visiting team didn't have any food or, you know, I mean, you ne- these guys, you never knew what you were going to encounter on a day-to-day basis. So you had oh, to think no. on your feet and then they had to be willing to adapt and go, all right, you know, I may have been scheduled to do this today, but... I have to go do this to make sure that the game or the series goes off without a hitch. Yeah. I uh, originally started with four ticket people. Uh, well, I, I ended with about two um, because I just transitioned them to different roles because I thought they would be good in different roles. Yep. As a leader, you need to realize you need to give people the benefit of the doubt and you need to give them like ways to try new things. And I had a lot of guys that wanted to be in one position, but I also had a lot of guys that would, be willing to do more than one position. Our ticket, our director of ticketing uh, was an intern from Ohio state. Um, I'm not going to disclose his name, um, but he was, he was really instrumental in trying to get up the ticketing off, uh, off. We had a, um, a student, a high school student that was running a lot of the ticketing and merchandise. And he was also the fill in PA when we needed him. We had a a Bradley kid that was Bradley university kid, my own mater um, that was, running the kids zone. I mean, that was one of the guys I didn't really want to go, uh, go do another job, but the willingness to actually work and the willingness to actually like learn about the ins and outs of the sports uh, industry and specifically a baseball team, yeah. a small town baseball team like this is, but it was very, um, it was very good to see that they were all in um, and not just like halfway in. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, Leads me. You mentioned uh, something at the at the very beginning of that, where you talked about marketing. When you took over, one of the first things you had to do was market and get the team's name out there. So, so where did I guess this version of the shrimp succeed? Where the previous versions, you know, there was one that was around for five for six years, and that's pretty successful. Yeah. But the last the last team only made it one season, and they they actually had a successful year. They were thirty five and twenty four in their one season. So where did what was different about about this version of the shrimp? Because I can speak from experience that you know I remember at the end of the season you busting into the press box and saying we sold every ticket for this game. I, I mean I remember yeah. I remember the sellouts and and how and how the fan interest really started to increase as the season went on. How, how did you yeah. guys you know what was the difference? So with um, so at the very beginning, me, John, and the A5 marketing crew, John and Thomas, sat down and said, we're not going to be anything like the drones. The drones, um, did, I'm not going to knock them, um, but they didn't spend a ton of money on marketing, and they didn't have an outside firm that helped them. Um, but we did most of our stuff through social media. Um, we also did some of our stuff through pocket schedules and posters. But the pocket schedules and posters were not as effective. It was more excuse me, as, as the social media presence and also the theme nights really made a difference, oh, yeah, for, a difference for us. Yeah. The Polish American night having the pierogi truck and the, um, and the uh, polka band having the star Wars night, princess night. Um, 
military and, appreciation uh, the arm- night. We had military yes, appreciation sir. night. Yep. Yes, we're, sir. We're, we're both um, rocking our camouflage shrimp uh, shrimp shirts. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a really that was we can talk about that later. It, yeah. That was a very stressful um, process I'm for sure. me as well. Um, and I mean, what set us apart was really our marketing gimmicks, our bubble balls on the field, mm-hmm. our our interns. Um, but we were our goal was not to be the sports team on the field. It was supposed to be an entertainment source. Sure. Um, and that's, and you know, we're, we're a source I, of entertainment. I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's that's a great point. And that's minor league baseball in general is known for their entertainment value. They're known for bringing families in and making it a family friendly atmosphere. It's not always just about the game. I remember two summers ago, I took my family to go see Cougars. And yeah. I have two little boys. They're seven and four now. So at the time they were six and three or five and two and a half or something. So they were young. And uh-huh. to this day, you know what they remember about that game? I don't remember anything about the game. They remember the mascots. Ozzy, yeah. You know, so it's it's making it a family-friendly environment is is how you generate people. And, and you know, even, you know, I remember we had games starting at, you know, 1030 at night because of all the rain delays. But those games aside, I mean, you had good crowds, you had kids, you had families. And that's, you know, that's right. clearly what you were what you were shooting for. And it was, you know, in my eyes, it was it was just, it was a success. Yeah. I mean, the financials can say something differently, but I think um, entertainment uh, with the entertainment factor with the bubble balls and also we have a we had a bounce house. And I'm being told this year we're going to have like a cornhole and stuff like that. We had, we had a lot of different things. Um, we had, we had bubble ball in the field. Like I said, we had a toilet race. I have never, mm-hmm. no one's ever seen before with the, the toilets, toilet races, yep. um, which was really tough to get it off the ground. And we also had beer batter too. I can talk about that just oh, a tad the bit later. Beer batter was hugely successful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess talk, I can talk a little bit about the beer batter. The beer batter was a huge success. So with my uh, student, with my student interns, uh, we grabbed someone from the fans before the game, and we laid nine um, nine things of wood on the ground with a number, and it's the number in the batting order. If that if the opposing team strikes out, you get one dollar drafts for the rest of the inning. And I remember probably at least a little over sixty percent of the home games we had the beer batter at least once. I think one. I think one time we had four, four beer batters because that guy struck out four times, and the concession stand was coming to me and saying, "You gotta stop. You gotta stop this beer batter, man." Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) we started giving it. We start giving out premium beers. We're done with this. Yeah, you. I mean, I you'd poke your head around the corner and you'd see the line at the concession stand. You know, there maybe there were two hundred people at the game and there were one hundred and fifty of them standing in the concession lines. But Aaron, that was the that that was the that's the entertainment factor. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, we we did that because we attracted people. Although we although because of Illinois law, we couldn't. Um, publicize it on in, on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. We the word got out. Yep. And we successfully did that. Yeah, um, the beer batter was great. You guys, you know, there was always something going on. You know, even if yeah. even if there wasn't a themed night, there was always something going on before the game, during the game, that to help keep people entertained. Because let's face it, I mean, baseball games take a long time. <laughs> you know, and if and, yeah. and you know, my kids are no exception. 
the attention span is it's hard to keep the attention span of a seven year old. So, uh, anything I mean, in between do in between innings, we 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 managed to do something too. Like uh, I don't know, I don't know what it was. We had the YMCA, we had the chicken dance. I mean, we had like a pistol shrimp trivia, name that tune. Uh, we always had something to give away. We always had someone that was willing to do, willing to actually embarrass themselves and do something, which um, I am a very, I did the chicken dance mo- numerous times. I did the YMCA. Um, I I really wanted to do Gangnam style, but that was a little bit um, Yeah, I mean, mature, you, you got to step out of your comfort zone in order to, right. you know, to, to get other people. So. So um, the the shrimp played uh, all of their home games, with the exception of one. At, two. At, at, they played two at, at North yeah, Central. At North mm-hmm. So all but two of their home games played at Benedictine University uh, in Lyle. What were some of the roadblocks that you guys encountered playing at, at BenU? With number one, with it being the smallest uh, stadium in in the Prospect League. Seat it, it probably seats what a thousand people, maybe twelve hundred people on, on a good yeah. Day. It's a little under. It's like eight. It's like eight hundred. It's like yeah. nine hundred. So, so, what were some of the roadblocks that you encountered? Number one, just playing in a small stadium. But number two, playing in a stadium that you don't own. You know, a stadium that you're paying to play yeah. there. So, a couple things here, Aaron. Um, we never. I'm not gonna. Ben, I'm not gonna knock Benedictine staff. They did a fantastic yeah. job at uh, preparing the field, but they never let us use their tarp. And I think if they um, if they let us use our tarp, then we would have um, played some of our um, rain delay games, everything delay games. Yeah, everything um, delays. That's right. Yeah, um, they never provided us cups for water. We always had to go and um, scavenge for cups for water. Um, really? That's it. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we were one of the only only teams that didn't have a locker room. Uh, we. I was given a key for the locker room, but no like team really needed it um, except for one. And that's true. The teams usually the the away teams would usually just go back onto the bus, or you know if they yeah. if there was a double header, they'd go back to the bus and eat their lunch on the bus and then come back. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, like, you wouldn't think cups would be would be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, they did a fantastic job at like giving us like the access to like the suites upstairs for the umpires. They gave us a they gave us a room for to store all of our stuff in. Um, I mean, I I sometimes had to contact other people to get that uh, closet open. We call it the closet okay. open, but we got we always got it open on time, and we always uh, they did a fantastic job. It was this is their first this was their first like real experience of covering like a prospect league team. Although they had the drones and the dragons, uh, the pistol shrimp were a little bit, a uh, little bit different in the way that we utilize their space. Yeah, and let's 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 talk about the, the I guess the field. So you mentioned that that you couldn't use their tarp, but correct. you know I'll tell you the amount of rain that we had in the months of June and July. You know, that they were able able to get – I mean, there were times where I thought we were going to go a week with no baseball because of how much it rained. But we were able to get games in, you know, I mean, with some of these rainstorms that we had, to be able to get a game in the next day with no tarp, so, with no tarp was crazy. Yeah. I'm going to correct you on that. The infield did not drain very It well. didn't? No, okay. because right. um, it, was, it was masked with the fact that they – ordered more clay um, throughout gotcha. the season okay. and right. dirt and the, the grass dried really fast though. 
Um, sometimes they couldn't even cut the grass the, the, uh, on game day because it was too wet. Uh, the warring track did not drain very well either. So, well. but the but it but you couldn't you really couldn't tell because I mean the Benedictine field crew did a fantastic job in preparing that field. Uh, the pitching mound especially didn't drain very well, and uh, we had to we had to tarp that. That's the only thing. That, uh, that's the only thing we needed to tarp. And we also tarped uh, behind the plate as well, but yeah. um, but the whole entire infield that was very sloppy. Yeah, um, I guess you know I probably should have said that it was the grounds crew that did a good job maintaining correct. the field. Yeah, um, and this was their first time. Yeah, but they, you know, yeah. I mean, again, you know, <laughs> while we're talking about it, we may as well get into this now. I mean, I have never in my life seen so much rain and so many games delayed or postponed or, you know, pushed back because of weather. I mean, there was yeah. about a three week gap there in June and July where I think we played fewer games than we didn't play. Yeah, we played, uh, we actually played uh, 59 out of the 60 games. We had to cancel one because um, champion city couldn't come uh, couldn't, couldn't come back. Yeah. And then we couldn't, we couldn't go to their place. Um, so our rain delays are everything delays that you guys called it. Um, yeah, shout out to Eric Willowite for that one. The everything delay, <laughs> yep. um, always happened when the Hannibal hoots, now the O'Fallon hoots came. And then when the Danville Dans came as well, um, it, that was, that in a nutshell was a really big challenge. I, I had to get everyone, um, all my interns to, to buy in to everything that was going on. I had, I had the fun zone guy try to tear down the, uh, <laughs> the bounce house. Yeah. I had to get, I had to get the tickets guys, um, t- the ticket guys. Well, yeah, we, I mean, on the ticket sales, you guys had so. to follow, essentially follow the rules of, of Benedictine. And once, you know, if, yeah. if there was potential bad weather, the sirens would go off and the Thor we, guard. Yeah. We had to shut down. I mean, there was no, you know, it, it wasn't up to you. It wasn't up to the umpires. It was Benedictine said, you guys are done. Then we were done. Yeah. So I actually had a couple, a couple of times where the, where the um, Benedictine police, uh, the Ben UPD yelled at me for being, uh, being in the bleachers and I just yelled back, I'm the general manager of sport information and game <laughs> operations or baseball operations. I can, I can get struck by lightning and be fine. Um, but I was, but I was also in charge of the umpires too. I had to make sure the umpires were, um, were taken care of during the rain delay. I had to make sure they were fed. I had to make sure that, uh, the interns were safe. I had, um, the dreaded bubble ball missing bubble ball um, incident uh, that happened the last rain delay of the season. Yep. Um, I had interns running up and down the concourse trying to get the bubble balls. Um, it was, it was a truly an experience. I always on the phone with, I was always on the phone with John. I was always on the phone with Mark. I was always on the phone with somebody. Yes, you um, were. It had to be the league. Yes, you were. It was, it was extremely stressful, but you no, know, we got through that. We made the playoffs. Uh, we lost in the first round. I was actually at that game. So I can talk a little bit about the atmosphere of that game uh, later. Yeah. Um, sure. But, but I mean, it was a challenge. Uh, we got through it though. So what, I guess, what didn't you know that you would have to do 
as being a GM. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I think we all sort of have it in our mind, like what a general manager does or what an assistant general manager does. What were some sure. of the things you had to do that you had no idea that you were going to have to do until you were doing it? Hire interns. I didn't think I was going to hire interns. Um, I also didn't think I was going to be the guy that would come there at like 9 a.m. and then leave at midnight. I was also in charge of all the stats. Um, I was in charge of all the scheduling. I was in charge of everything except for Matt Waz's hitting a home run um, or, or John's performance in the field. I was in charge of literally everything to do with the baseball operations side. Okay. Uh, I had to report Jersey numbers to the league. I had to report uh, headshots to the league. I had to make sure that um, like I, through okay uh, but the the short the short way of saying it is I was doing everything except for coaching on the playing field what was your and I've got mine but what was your best memory on the field of the shrimp last that's a tough one Aaron um I think it was the north central game um where I I think it might have been Dane that you're stole steal, home. You're stealing my thunder, man. <laughs> but yeah, but also Dane Topple, yeah. It was Dane Topple, yeah. Also, um when Southclaw was introduced, um that was pretty cool. That was a rain, that was a that was a rain shortened game. Mm -hmm. But also the last game of the season where everyone was we we sold out of the bleacher seats, we sold out of um a lot of the terrace seats. We I think hit seven or eight hundred people at that game, and the rush of having seven to eight hundred people at your last game, and now everyone's looking forward to this the next season was extremely um, was it felt good. It felt good to me because I did a lot of the stuff. Also, uh, it felt good to John and Mark and all those guys that have been working their butts off the whole entire summer to try to have inexperience and it was you know that just but the day in top while stealing home was great yeah it 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 it, it, it justifies all the hard work that you guys put in throughout the correct the season yeah yeah so that day and i actually have the box score up here because it was something i wanted to talk about so that was it was july 5th it was one of the yeah two so it's day after yeah day after, day after fourth of july it was one of the two games that the shrimp played at north central college uh, not only was it a steal of home it was a walk-off Feel of home. Yes, the shrimp were trailing in that game six to nothing, and it was tied at nine in the bottom of the ninth. Then, or the shrimp went into the bottom of the ninth down by a run that went down nine eight. They were playing the Cape Catfish, playing the, the one team ahead of them in the Western Division, and they won yeah. the game on a walk off steal of home, which is not anything I have ever seen in my forty plus years of watching baseball. A walk off steal of home. Uh, that was my highlight as well. Was was that particular game? I also there were also back to back home runs in that game. It was just it yeah. was just a wild game. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be a part of. But yeah, the walk off steal of home was was very um was a very rewarding end to that game for sure. Yeah, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about the Cape Catfish for a second. Cape sure. the Cape Catfish um we that we lost to in the playoffs. I uh, went on to play the Paints of Chillicothe. Um, they were also a first-year team. Yep. Um, and then we had the normal Corn Belters, uh, which you probably know the normal Corn Belters is a Frontier League team. Um, they actually transitioned to a Prospect League team. Uh, they, uh, between you and me <laughs> and everyone that's listening to this and watching this right now, um, 
they lost a lot of money and they actually had to um, go down um, and be a prospect league team rather than a frontier league team. Yeah. Well, they've been playing uh, their, their home stadium. It's called the corn palace. They've been playing there for years and years and years. And I remember when normal came up here, they had their play by play guy. Um, Greg yeah, Hallam. Yeah, and, and we were yeah, talking Greg to Hallam. him and he is, he said he had called 700 games or something like that. I mean, he had yeah. been calling normal games for 30 years. I actually went down to the corn crib um, for a game, and I think we, I think we lost that. I think I, no, we won that game, uh, but that was a really fun atmosphere, and I actually learned a lot from watching and observing the crowds at that game. I actually learned a lot about my marketing strategies from like watching other teams um, do it. I I had some connections with. Um, a couple of different teams in the major league baseball and also in minor league baseball as well. Um, and also I also had some contacts up in the Northwoods league, but I learned, I learned some of those stuff from the normal corn belters. I'm going to, I I'm going to admit it. I'm, I didn't steal a ton from them, but I saw what worked and what didn't work. Sure, yeah. I mean, especially coming into this for the first year, I mean, whether it's your first year or your 10th, I mean, you're always learning and any right. smart, businessman or you know anybody who who is trying to you know like me for example you know i you know i i'm i've i've started doing play by play and commentary and, and my goal is to is to, to do that full time but i'm i mean i shamelessly steal things from other people because that's what we do you know you you take right. something that works for somebody else and you try to make it work for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if it's, you know, obviously you get into the whole, if it's a copyright thing, then you have to give credit where credit's due. But, you know, I watch the way people do things. I watch the way, you know, my the other people that I work with you know, on air, I watch the way that they, that they prepare and I watch the way that they prep for some of their games. And, and I, and I steal that from them. You know, I've, I've asked people, can I have that, you know, templates so that I can use it for myself, you know, learning from others mm -hmm. is, you know, I mean, there's, you have to, you have to learn from others because so much to know you can't, you know, you can't just figure it out on the run. You, you gotta, you gotta watch, you gotta look at other people, you know, how the successful people do things. Especially being a sports information professional, like, like I am, um, my background's in sports information. Um, I have, stolen templates after templates after templates because they, I mean, they've given me permission, but also I can see what they're doing and they're doing something special. Um, and I don't have any shame in doing that. So, so let's, so, so last question, shrimp related before we change topics here a little bit. Um, sure. so currently you are the assistant SID at North park university, right? Right. North Park University. Yeah. As of, as of Saturday, I'm actually going to be done because I'm graduating. So congratulations. Appreciate um, it. So how did your time with the shrimp help you in that role? That's a really good question, Aaron. I think, um, I think the sports information side of me, like the stats and the bios and getting to know, like these guys, like you remember, I, we play Benedictine, we play North Central. So I know those, I knew those kids, uh, from that from that background but i think like getting to know people and knowing the connections and knowing the stats and learning how to do the stats um really helped me out i think um my detail oriented and um 
personality and also uh, pretty much, I don't know, outgoing, uh, outgoing personality really helped me in that. Uh, hiring actually helped me a little bit in that because I actually took a class on talent retention and development. So I had a little bit of a background in hiring and looking for the right people for the job I had. Uh, templates from that from my class that I had to that I did with pretty much all the interns so that was that was really helpful to um, to go through but it was mostly like the background of the baseball and like getting to know the people and the connections and the and the stats and go, troubleshooting through that. that that really helped me out great so um, ESPN lately has had a lot uh, a lot of stories and, and articles written about 90s baseball they've really been kind of going heavy into the whole 90s the the world of 90s baseball and, and there's really sure. no bigger story uh when, when it comes to 1990s baseball than mark mcguire and sammy sosa and the home run chase in in, in 1998 now um, right. i don't know and, and you know correct me if i'm wrong but you're you're probably a little young to remember the actual home run race Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. That was '98. Yeah, I was four year four years old. Okay. Um, but but I but you know but you know the Sammy Sammy Sosa like back in the '90s and the early 2000s. I grew up idolizing the guy. I grew up. I that's actually how I got into baseball is the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire um, home run you chase. Know, Sam, that's that's actually what my question is. So so you so that's what got you into baseball, and that's right. That that was you know you were a Sammy Sosa fan and. You know that drew the fans back, and and young Sam was one of those fans that 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 Sammy was was able to attract. How is your opinion, or has your opinion of Sammy Sosa changed? Not only as you've gotten older, but now that you're actually working in the sports industry and not just a fan, how has your yeah. opinion of of Sammy and that entire race changed, or has it? I mean, it has a little bit with the steroids um, and with him hitting um, seven, 700 plus uh, home runs. I think a lot of those have to do with the steroid usage, but he was still a phenomenal batter and a phenomenal player uh, for a Cubs team in the nineties that only had like one or two good years of fame. I mean, he was in the Oh three team as well that went to the playoffs yep. and lost. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that would have been the Bartman year. Was it yeah. the Bartman year? Yep. Okay. But I mean, I mean, he, he was one of my idols growing up um, of one person we didn't mention is Kerry Wood with his 20 strikeout game. Re just recently, we celebrated his anniversary of that this year. Um, but I more, I more idolized Kerry Wood um, rather than Sammy Sosa, because I like, I like the pitching. But um, the second part of your question is um, it really changed the way I look at baseball. Like it really changed the way I think of baseball. It really changed the way that I, cause I had no idea Jose Canseco was on steroids. I didn't know that Barry Bonds was yeah. on steroids and so on and so forth of uh, it kind of changed my opinion on kind of like Roger Clemens getting into the hall of fame, uh, Kurt Schilling getting into the hall of fame. That era of baseball was really, has really changed my opinion on baseball. How, how is your overall outlook because you know one of the things they they tell us in the press box is no cheering in the press box. Can't cheer even if even if you know yes. you know even if you're you know a fan of that team if you're in the press box you can't cheer. So how how has your how have you changed as a sports fan kind of 
not just working for a team, but, but working in the sports industry? How have you changed as a sports fan? I have a little bit better sense of what kind of stuff goes on in the backgrounds. Um, I watch college basketball and I look for the sports information director and see what he actually does. Or I kind of, I kind of, Oh, that was a, that was a foul. That that was a foul on him. It really should have supposed to have been on him. Um, charge versus a uh, charge versus a block, but in the baseball world, like a hit against an error and earned run versus an unearned run. Um, infield fly rule against a non-infield fly rule um that really so you're looking the rules. at the, you're looking at the rules more than the yes. results so to speak no yeah. i i am more in i was look aaron i looked for, i worked for the pistol shrimp uh, but i was more in uh, my position i believe i should have been in part um impartial and i look at um, my college jobs at um, northern illinois where i got started and um north park and I was, I tried to be as impartial as I possibly can because I work, I'm not necessarily a fan of that school. I work for the school. They're giving me a, they're giving me a paycheck, but I have to be impartial and not cheer. Um, one of my greatest moments of North Park was actually this year, um, our men's soccer team went to the uh, Sweet 16 for Division Three um, championships. And uh when our sophomore goaltender Eden Sabovich uh, stopped a uh, last-second penalty kick from the from the leading scorer of Gustav uh, Gustavus Adolphus, I hope I said that one right. Um, I couldn't help but jump up and down the press box and be really happy for these guys. But other than that, I've usually been pretty impartial. And um, one, one of the one of the advantages to to doing what I do is as a play-by-play guy. I have the luxury of of getting excited for the team that is writing me a paycheck, you know, whether it is, you know, by proxy, you know, I, I get paid by the Illinois media school to call games for the DuPage pistol shrimp or yeah. uh, Notre Dame college prep hockey or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I have some of that. I have, I have a little bit more freedom in, in that I can get, I can show excitement when, when something good happens. So it would be, I would have a really difficult time as a sports information director or as a sports writer where, you know, you're just, you can't cheer, you know, I like, I don't know how some of these, you know, long time beat reporters for, you know, their local team, how they're able to not, how they're, how they're able to separate being a fan with doing their job. That's, that's hard. Right. Man. That's gotta be hard. So. Yeah. The only times I cheer for the pistol shrimp was when Dane topple stole home. We had a, uh, we had a couple walk-off wins this year. And then uh, the pistol shrimp also went, I believe Aaron, you're going to have to look this up. I think they went 17 innings or 18 innings. Um, they went, they went really far into extra innings without scoring. And I was like, Yes, they scored. Thank God, we're, we're, we can finally go home now. Um, but I think I think it was seventeen innings. So, a couple more questions for you, Sam, and then I will I will let you go here for the night. So, obviously, yeah. the uh, COVID nineteen crisis um, kind of throwing a wrench in every in, in in every in everybody's plans as it relates to sports. You know, I don't want to I don't want to you know try to overemphasize how important sports is right now. It, you know, to some people it's, it's still very important to other people. It's, it's not as important. And, you know, and, and however you or anybody, you know, kind of dealing with it, that's that being aside, what do you miss about 
sports. And when I say that, I don't mean I miss the Cubs or uh, I had this conversation with somebody the other day. Like for me, what I miss about sports is that feeling when I wake up in the morning knowing that there's a Red Sox game on that night or the Bruins are playing that night or, you know, obviously being from Boston. I'm a, you know, if it's a Sunday afternoon, I know I'm going to have three hours on Sunday where I can just shut off the outside world and I can watch the Patriots and all is going to be good in the world. And it doesn't matter how bad of a day I had at work. I know once six o'clock hits, I'm going to be able to plant myself down on the couch and watch the Red Sox. And that's, I miss that, that freedom. What do you miss about sports, Sam? So this is a good question, Aaron, because my undergraduate studies at Bradley University, my research was in sport and society. And I just, I, the healing of sports. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the 9-11, um, when the 9-11 attacks went off and the Arizona Diamondbacks playing the Yankees and when George Bush threw out that first pitch. I remember I was very young. You were, you know, well, you, I was older. You, you were not very young. <laughs> I was older. Um, <laughs> I, you were older. You, yes, you kind of older. probably meant a little bit, uh, probably meant a little bit more to you, but that was, it, yeah. uh, um, when when George Bush threw out that first pitch and it was a strike and he was honoring the f- fire department and the police department and the first responders over there, it was it was an escape. And it, there's no escape right now. I mean, this COVID-19 stuff has really shut everything down and has had a lot of things to do with uh, just just like it. I mean, baseball is used for healing. Um, either if it was the earthquake, um, the sand. Um, San Francisco Los Angeles earthquake. earthquake when the Dodgers were playing San Francisco earthquake. Yeah. Um, when the giants were playing the A's in the world series um, in the eighties, or if it was like that nine 11 or this, or the steroid games or whatever. Um, it always had something to do with sports and healing. And uh, one more thing. And then I'll let you ask your last question. Okay. <laughs> um, my, my capstone, my graduate capstone um, research is actually in um COVID-19 and how like leaders make really tough decisions and um, how to get through the tough decisions with uh, enough enough ethical and change um, aspects. So I did a lot of, I did a lot of um, research when it comes to the leaders of the big five sports. And I determined that they have been, they have been really tried in the past and it's really shaped them from how they make the decisions today based on what happened with the COVID-19. Yeah, you know, you make it, and that's I've I've made that that point to other people as well that that sports has always been not just for healing, but it's been an escape. You know, it's right. it's been a, it's been a way to to heal through sort of a common I say a common interest, but it's more than that. You know, like you know, I I could I could have been side by side with a Yankee fan as a Red Sox fan watching that World Series in two thousand and one. And there would have been a connection there. It, it had at that point, it had nothing yeah. to do with being a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan or a Cubs fan and a Cardinals fan, a Bears fan, and a Packers fan. It was about it was about the game and 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 starting and and not just obviously not just the the idea of showing these terrible people that you're not going to keep us down and that we're going to we're going to continue to live our lives. Um, you know, when these, when, when specifically when nine 11 happened, it was, it was, it was a symbol that you're not going to keep us down and we're going to be able, we're going to continue to live our lives. 
with the earthquake, you know, obviously a large loss of life and it was very centralized and obviously a huge news because the World Series was going on. But with COVID-19, we don't have that. So, no. you know, we have to do things like this, right? We have to do things like this. To, and that's part of the reason I, I really pushed myself to to get, you know, my my brand off the ground was because I need something to fill that time. I can't right. sit and just watch, you know, NFL games from the 90s. I can't, as fun as that is, I need, yeah. I need something to fill that time. And that's part of what this is for me, specifically, personally, is to talk to people yeah. about sports and, and to have those discussions about not, you know, who's your, you know, what was your, your what's your favorite all-time football team? But let's talk about, you know, what things are going to be like going forward. And, you know, let's, let's talk about the good that sports brings. Cause that's, to me, I, I need that. I need to, to, to fill some of this time with sports somehow, you know, and the only way yeah. we can do that now is by talking to people about it. So. Yeah, I actually was. Uh, one thing that when the sports got in the way of a social issue was when the uh, White Sox played the Orioles um, at Camden Yards during um, the Baltimore protests that was uh, uh, when we had the empty, empty stadium game where the Oriole fans had to look through the fence. And then also on uh, the, when the Los Angeles Clippers um, refused to also play for Donald Sterling during his uh, racial injustice and his banning from the sports world. So those were a couple of different um, examples of how sport kind of didn't really heal it. Uh, didn't really heal um, people, but they actually made a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, say what you will about the about about professional athletes, you know, some of them are, 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 you know, make some bad decisions, you know, to put it mildly. Uh, but mm -hmm. the vast majority of them are incredibly self aware, and very well spoken. And some of the other leaders around the world would be well served to listen to some of these people. You know, I'm not a LeBron mm -hmm. James fan on the court. I think he's a flopper. I think he's a whiner. I think he chases the rings. But off the court, LeBron James is a Hall of Fame person. You know, his beliefs oh, yeah. and what he does for um, underprivileged youth in, in Ohio. I mean, he opened up a school, you know, and, and paid for all of these kids not only, go to, not only to go to school, but to go to college when they're done with school. So, so professional State, athletes, yeah. yeah, professional athletes for the vast, the vast majority of them are, have the ability to make a real, to make a real difference. In the impact. So, last question I have yeah. for you, and I want to, I want to kind of end this on a, on an upbeat, you know, positive note. So what is the sure. strangest habit that you've picked up while in quarantine? Strangest habit I've developed while in quarantine. Um, just absolutely. I have, I have always been fascinated with college mascots and um, like, I know like the D one through D three and some NAIA and junior colleges mascots, but I also I'm trying to learn all the high school mascots all around the country. I'm in uh, doing the 50 States. And I think that's one of the things uh, doing puzzles, uh, reading. Okay. I'm re I find myself reading a lot more. Um, I find myself just going for walks and not like, just like 
not driving. It's weird for me not to drive because I <laughs> yeah. drive to the city a lot, yep. but it's, it's learning the college mascots and I'm doing a lot of different, I'm doing a lot of different um, things. Like I, I'm a chief editor at um, Inside D3, which is a D3 uh, division three publication that we come out with podcasts on Wednesday. Um, and we write articles about the division three types of players. Um, you want to, you want to, you want to stuff like that. You want to plug that. So it's, what was it? It's called Inside D3. Yeah, it's called Inside D3. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're also, our podcast is located on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple iTunes. Uh, I do I do a mascot of the week. Um, this week I did the McDaniel Green Terror, uh, which is McDaniel College is in Baltimore, uh, Maryland. So I just I had like a record a two twenty a two-minute video on uh, what what the uh, history of that mascot is so i mean i'm keeping busy but i the mascots um have been uh the center of my attention during this uh godforsaken quarantine for me it's been legos i have been building, legos i've been building fenway park out of legos so that's that's been that's been the uh oh, the, the hobby it, it's beating me right now I've i've put it aside for about the last week, week and a half, because it's it's not by Lego, it's by a different company. And some of the pieces are literally yeah. the size of like a pinhead. And mm -hmm. I'm having a difficult time with it. And then I would say my weirdest habit is my where I'm, I'm my studio is my office, which is a detached garage from my house. So I have to walk from my okay. house up to my office to, to this and work. And okay, it's still not warm enough to walk around with just flip-flops. So I have been rocking the socks and flip-flops for the last couple of weeks uh, around, around the house. And my wife is, uh, I get some, some interesting looks from her, but get some weird looks. Yeah. Oh, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with taking shoes on and off every time I walk up the stairs, but it's not warm enough to be barefoot up here. So I just, Socks and flip-flops, man. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm, you know, cargo, cargo shorts, yeah. socks and flip-flops. It's where it's at. So, um, yeah. And also this, also this quarantine has really gotten us to like, look at family and loved ones a little bit better. Absolutely. Like, I feel yeah. like, I feel like I don't, I don't see, um, I can say it. My fiance. Dad, Hannah, I was going to so, say um, you are, you are engaged. You are recently engaged. So congratulations. There yeah. As well. Thank you. Um, Actually, t 11 days from today would be our one anniversary um, um, of being engaged. So for you. So, Sam, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, we're, we're closing in on an hour here, believe it or not. So I want wow. to. Uh, yeah. Time flies when you're talking about things. Enjoy, right. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully we will have a pistol shrimp season this year and you and I will have the opportunity because I know you're not working in that same capacity with shrimp. But uh, this Correct. season, but hopefully uh, you and I have the opportunity to work together again this year. So uh, once again, I was joined tonight by Sam Vibrock of the New Age Pistol Shrimp. Sam, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for watching. Everybody take care. Bye-bye. You're seeing us. Bye-bye. Till next time. And that's the way it is. Take care of yourself. Good night and good luck.